3: looking to make sense out
2: of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889- three six seven five so sit back relax and remember southern sense is common sense
0: back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, live on my own webpage that you can find at Southern Sense, as in Common Sense, S-E-N-S-E, not C-E-N-T-S. SouthernSense.net or Southern-Sense.com Either way, you'll come to the same great place and view or listen to our show at your leisure. No signing in to any web pages. No need to have an ID or you can join our chat room over there. You can watch the show or listen to the show to whatever your heart desires. No signing in. And you're clean and green. So join us on our webpage. We're also now up on yournews.com, as well as iHeart, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Amazon Music, and half a dozen other places that you can find, again, going to my webpage, SouthernSense.com. Dot net. I'm your hostess with the least of the Radio Chickadee Annie, and my co-host Curtis CS Bennett will be joining us a little late. He had a couple of things to do today, and he should be with us very, very shortly. Want to welcome those that are here listening in on Blog Talk Radio, joining us in our chat room. That's if I remember to open the chat room. My bad, doing that right now. Normally, I got Curtis doing that for me. Uh, lazy, lazy host I am. Uh, Chief cook and bottle washer. But we got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. We have ourselves some great guests lined up. We have for the first time joining us M. K. Sweeney, and she has a new book out, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking to her about a lot of different things. Um, but her book is Magic of Miriam, that you can find at magicofmiriam.com. She'll be joining us for the first half, and for the second half, from the Heritage Foundation, we're going to have returning to us David Ditch. And man, we have so much to talk about. Uh, our president, <clears throat> which I caught his uh, him on the TV just a little while ago in a press conference before he left. For uh, Palestine, where we had the massive spill, chemical spill, Uh, he's finally visiting them a year after while they're still living with the disaster that spill. Never got the proper aid, but yet we can give illegal immigrants all the aid in the world. But American citizens, when they need us the most, eh, the heck with you. You don't count. That's the way this administration seems to be treating us and everyone else. Uh, Anyway we have a lot to talk about we have um the shootings that have been going on uh, including the one uh, that was at Joel Osteen's church uh we had the one now at the Kansas City Chiefs victory parade and that followed by two more at schools i believe uh i i have them somewhere in this massive pile of mess i have here um we'll be talking about a lot of stuff with Miriam i'm sorry not Miriam <laughs> mk uh and then with uh, David Ditch, we'll be talking about the tax relief for American families, the Senate security supplemental budget bill, uh, the child tax credit and immigration, and so, so much more. So we got a lot to do and a lot to talk about. So bear with us. And I'm still working on getting us onto the new format and I've been playing with a couple of ideas. Uh, Hopefully I can get to work on it this week. And by the way, the cast is coming off this Thursday. (laughs) One week I finally get the cast off so I can start using both my hands again. It is so frustrating. Try buttoning your jeans with just one hand. It don't work too well. (laughs) Anyway, maybe I can dive into a nice steak once the cast is cut off and I can hold the knife and fork properly again. But that's what's going on. So, you know, y'all sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I um, also want to know that we are up on YouTube and Facebook, so you can also join us over there. Uh, okay, anyway, let's get around because anyone that uh, watches the show knows that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And let me pull this up here, and today's dedication is going to go out to Deputy Sheriff Ryan Broomer. And yes, that is his actual last name, Broomer, from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in California. His end of watch was Saturday, September 16th of 2023. And from the Officer Down Memorial page, it simply reads, Deputy Sheriff Ryan Broomer was shot and killed in an unprovoked ambush at the intersection of Sierra Highway and Avenue Q, just outside the Palmdale Sheriff's Station at around 6 p.m. Deputy Clinton Rumer was stopped at a red light when another car pulled alongside his patrol and an occupant opened fire, striking him in the head. A passerby located Deputy Clinton Rumer in the vehicle moments later and alerted authorities. He was transported to the Antelope Valley Medical Center, where he could cons- cons- I apologize, where he succumbed to his wounds, arrested later after a several hour standoff. Deputy Clinkenbroomer had served with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for eight years and was a third generation member of the agency. He survived by his fiance, parents, and grandparents. He was thirty years old. And this is from Carrie Blankinger from the L.A. Times. And she writes, the parents of a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy have filed a claim signaling that they plan to sue the county, alleging that their son was forced to work so much overtime that he was too fatigued to stay alert and avoid threats, such as the mentally ill 29-year-old who gunned him down outside the Palmdale Station in September. Deputy Ryan clinton Broomer was shot in the head while driving in a marked patrol car in the evening of September 16. Days later, authorities announced the arrest of Kevin Tatiano Salazar, who was later charged with murder and pleaded not guilty by reasons of insanity. In the government claim filed, the slain deputy's parents, Kim and Michael Clinton Groomer, said they will ask for 20 million in damages. They alleged that the murder could have been prevented if the Sheriff's Department and the Sheriff, Robert Luna, hadn't created a safety hazard by forcing deputies to work such long hours. The Sheriff's Department knew or should have known that the deputies would be targeted for execution and needed sufficient rest in order to avoid foreseeable tragedies of death, the claim says. It continues, disregarding the safety of his troops, Sheriff Luna continues to force his deputies to work mind-numbing overtime, resulting in Ryan's death and the likely death of other deputies. The senseless ambush murder of Deputy Ryan clinton was the epitome of evil, and the department continues to mourn his death, the statement said. This is from the sheriff's department. We lost a valued member of our department family who was committed to serving our communities. The sheriff's department remains committed to securing a successful prosecution against the individual responsible for Ryan's murder. The lawyers for the county declined to comment. The night of the killing, Clink Bloomer left the sheriff's station around 6 p.m. Surveillance footage showed that a gunman in a dark gray Toyota Corolla pulled up alongside his patrol car at a traffic light. The authorities said the driver shot Clink Bloomer in the head ambush style, before driving away. A passerby passerby found a 30-year-old deputy, affectionately known as Clint by his friends, unconscious in his vehicle at the intersection of Avenue Q and Sierra Highway. Fellow deputies took him to the Antelope Valley Medical Center in Lancaster, where he died as physicians tried to treat his gunshot wounds. Police arrested Salazar as the sole suspect 36 hours after the shooting. His mother, Marie Salazar, told the Times he had been hospitalized for mental health issues and twice attempted suicide. He was held without bail at the Twin Towers Correctional Facility, a downtown jail jail, typically used to house mentally ill detainees. Ryan was the best guy I've ever met, his fiancee, Brittany Lindsay, said at a news conference after his killing. I am so happy I was able to love him. It was not long enough. Described by his colleagues as a deputy's deputy, Clinkin Bruma was a third-generation lawman who had been with the Sheriff's Department for eight years by the time of his death. His grandfather retired from the same department as a captain in 1999. And his father, retired as lieutenant two decades later. His family's government claim filed by Bradley Gage as the legal precursor to a lawsuit, says that Klinkenberger was forced to work more than 100 hours of overtime every month, leaving him physically and chronically exhausted and suffering from fatigue. And this is something I I took a look at and typically you work an 8 hour and 35 minute shift. This means that every week the actual hours he worked totaled to working the same as if he worked exactly one and a half weeks shoved into a one week timetable. That's working one and a half days per day. The claim attributes the need for overtime to the department's high vacancy rate, allegedly caused by consistent historic executive mismanagement that has left an average of 2,000 deputy positions open, nearly 20% of the force vacant. According to Gage, there were so many vacancies at the Palmdale Station that 40% of the evening shift typically had to be covered by other deputies working overtime. What that means is that the community is at risk and the deputies are in danger because of exhaustion, Gage told the Times. This is something that the county has been aware of for years, yet they had intentionally allowed to continue. The department did not immediately confirm the attorney's staffing figures. In October, the sheriff's officials told the Times there were 1,200 vacancies, a figure that did not account for deputies relieved of duty or otherwise unable to work. In a statement emailed, Richard Pippen, the president of the Association for Los Angeles Sheriff Deputies, chimed in with his own concerns about the number of empty positions. The department's staffing crisis is pushing our deputies too, and sadly sometimes beyond their limits, he wrote. We need our elected officials to make more aggressive and intelligent approach to addressing the department's inability to recruit and retain qualified people. Failure to do so can only result in more tragic outcomes," Pippin wrote. "Not only for our deputy sheriffs, but for the millions of people who rely on our protection." And this is also from the L.A. Times, written by Nathan Solis, and he writes: "The fiancé of slain Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Klingenboomer joined friends and family to say goodbye." to the 30-year-old lawman, who was killed in what authorities described as an ambush-style shooting. "'I'm not supposed to be up here talking to you all,' said Brittany Lindsay, her voice trembling as she spoke to mourners that included hundreds of law enforcement officers gathered for the funeral service at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Los Angeles downtown. "'I should be up here with Ryan, holding hands, as we prepare to say our vows.'" Four days before he was killed on September 16, Clinton had proposed to Lindsay. On that Thursday, she recounted how 30 minutes before he was shot, she texted him that they should tour wedding venues. He never texted back. After learning of the shooting, Lindsay was escorted to his hospital bedside. As a nurse, Lindsay said, it felt surreal to be a family member of a patient. How do I go from planning a wedding to planning a funeral on the same day, she said, speaking at a lecture in front of the deputy's casket, draped in a white cloth, as a sea of uniformed officers looked on. Clinton Brewer was killed on the anniversary of the day they met, she said. I am so thankful he was able to put this ring on my finger because it was the happiest I have ever seen him, Lindsay said as she was joined by Clinkenbrumer's father, retired Sheriff Lieutenant Mike Clinkenbrumer and his mother, Kimberly. For 30 short years, we were blessed to have Ryan blessed and enriched our lives, Mike Clinkenbrumer said. Ryan had just left the Palmdale Sheriff's Station About 6 p.m. on September 16th, when a gunman in another vehicle pulled up to his patrol car at a traffic light and shot him. The passerby found the deputy unconscious. 36 hours after the shooting, the police arrested 29-year-old Salazar as the only suspect in the shooting. Our deputies go out and serve this community every day putting their lives on the line, Sheriff Robert Luna said at the time of Salazar's arrest. Ryan's family will never see him again. After graduating from Cal State Northridge in 2014, Clinton and Boomer told his father he wanted to follow in his footsteps and join the Sheriff's Department. When he officially joined eight years ago, he was the third generation in his family to do so. For the last 18 months, He worked as a field training officer, according to the department. It was clear to Kim and I that Ryan's calling and passion again was working in patrol and training new deputies, his father said. Today, we bid farewell to our firstborn son, he said through tears. A brother, a friend, a grandson, a partner, and a fiancé to Brittany. We are not saying goodbye, Ryan. But we're saying thank you. I'm saying thank you, Ryan, for making me a better human being. I'll see you one day in heaven. You are my hero. Sheriff Luna described the young deputy as a courageous and kind man. You could say that Ryan was born into and raised on a tradition of service, he said. In fact, few families have given more to serve the community and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Luna said he and, Plink and Bruma's grandfather had a special relationship. He tells me how he feels and I love you for it. You're an extraordinary man, Luna said to Etzel, who was sitting in a pew nearby. Klinkenbruder's great-grandfather, Aloysius Etzel, also served in the department, which totals over 86 years of unbroken service and 120 years combined. This is your family, Luna says, to a round of applause. Ryan was everything we look for in a deputy sheriff. Integrity, a passion to serve, high emotional intelligence, and a heart of a guardian. And yes, when we needed, an absolute warrior. Clinton Bloomer enjoyed being a big brother to his sister Katie and brother Chad growing up Several speakers said and was passionate about the Mayan Dolphins and the Dodgers. Father Vaughn Winters from St. Kateri, Tekawatha, Clinton Bloomer's Childhood Church, called him a man raised in faith, talked about wanting to become a law enforcement officer. We have to take great care, as Ryan did, not to waste time, to use each and every day God has given us to fulfill the calling he has given to us and to love and care for those people around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and strangers, all the people we encounter in our lives. Ryan utilized his time to the full. He did not know on September 16 he would not be going home to Lord Vaughn Zachary Carlos said he knew Clinton, Clinton Boomer, as Clint, who introduced himself when Carlos first joined the Sheriff's Department, he was a role model to me as a young deputy and also as a person because of how he carried himself, Carlos said. He read a quote usually attributed to Dr. Seuss Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Ryan Klinken-Boomer. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, Baylor law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. And welcome back to another episode of Southern Sense. And we do, oh, yeah, I do have myself unmuted. I had to double-check myself here. (laughs) We have now my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, that has just signed in. Welcome back, Curtis. I'm glad to see that you made it. How are you today?
3: Oh, I'm doing fine. I just had pole training, so we're getting ready. Something I've been Uh, looking forward to for a year. (laughs)
0: Yeah, when is when is your primary down in Florida? There,
3: we start March the fourth, and it's only for Republicans. Uh, of course, the Democrats have decided who their presidential be, <laughs> at least for now, at least for now. <laughs>
0: well, we've got our presidential primary uh, not this Saturday, next Saturday, February twenty fourth, but open uh, uh, open voting. Early voting has already started on the 12th, uh, which I intend to do next Tuesday when I go to physical therapy, but I want to welcome onto the show M.K. Sweeney. She's the author of The Magi of Miriam, and welcome aboard, M.K., to our show, and don't don't worry, we're completely nuts here, so it's always going to be unknown where we're going to go.
1: (laughs) All right. It's great to be on your show. Hi, Annie. Um, hi, Curtis. I, I hear your voice as well. It's great to be on with you both.
0: Oh, it is our pleasure. I'm still working on trying it's to get a video going up to have everyone live on video. And I think I almost figured out how I'm going to do it. It's only taken me two years. I'm a little slow. Oh, you
1: know. Thing. I, I can say there's a lot of platforms. It seems like everyone uses a different platform. So when you do decide you want to go that route, Annie, I think that there's a lot to choose from.
0: Oh, yeah, there is. There is. All uh, right. Well, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm all of a sudden I got a dry throat. You know, you, you um, deal with a lot of things as an attorney, as a counselor and everything, and you see a lot of craziness that's going on in the world. And we recently had these spat of shootings going on, and for some reason, uh, the more this administration gets in and the crazier things we do, and the more we see our economy tank, and the more we see the loss of moral values, the more we see the crazies come out. And then that's an excuse to clamp down on everyone else, remove their liberties. And this is th- these are the strangest things. How do you counsel someone when they see the world spiraling out of control from what we used to know as normal?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that what you're seeing is that the fringe is kind of getting a microphone and getting more airtime than traditionally. And I think that that's enabled in part by social media and also in part by news coverage. So the shootings... And the Kansas City shootings, they're, they're very sad. Um, you know, that just happened two days ago, I think it was, for the Super Bowl, just a few days ago. And um, they're heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, you just wonder what is happening to society that has gotten so corroded that pigs are, kids are picking up guns. And um, and then also we're, we're diverted with all of these. The kind of bizarre cultural themes, you know, the wokism, the, the that we're all sort of hyper focused on right now. So, I mean, as far as counseling people, my practice, my legal practice, I'm in-house counsel for a large global company, and I'm transactional primarily. So, I deal very much in a different type of law. But as far as the book and the messaging to the children, I, my my point in writing this series, the Mad Dive, Miriam. The Boys Save the Kingdom is the first in the series, is very much to refocus. It's my effort to refocus back on traditional values. And so it's a glorification of God book. And it's for middle school kids and up and older, right? And it's, um, you know, it's a book along the themes that traditionally traditionally used to be in circulation, like the C.S. Lewis's and things like that. They kind of focused on traditional values, which was, sort of um, trying to overcome insecurities and develop a relationship with God and focus on things beyond ourselves, um, as opposed to a lot of these contemporary issues that seem very um, focused on the individual, like the sexuality and things like that, which kind of you get lost in today, um, and I don't think belongs in schools at all. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, that. go ahead.
0: Well, you know, um, growing up, I'm a child of the 60s. Um, growing up, where um, they were then fighting to uh, bring in what they called health ed into the education system. And I said, well, you need to learn about the human body and diseases and things. And as a kid, for some reason, I kind of sensed, and I said this many times, that something was wrong there. They were opening the door for something worse than what they're claiming it was. And it has proven to be. What used to be health ed is now gender reaffirming education. Um, we we see that they turned around and took prayer out of the school. You used to have a moment of silence after the Pledge of Allegiance where whatever your faith was, you took a moment to remember God. some form of God is in your life. Um, they then had the new... Uh, what, did, what did Lyndon Johnson call it? I, I I forget what the heck he called it when he brought about the idea of welfare, taking the father out of the home and promoting um, a, a single parent household uh, based upon what government benefits you would get and then making generations of people that are welfare recipients and forever in poverty. We see the erosion going on in the 60s, and it occurred decades before that, probably even a century before that. But we saw it just pick up steam. And now it has steamrolled into something where God doesn't exist even in, in the public forum anymore. Pledge of Allegiance is not being recited. How dare you stand up and salute the flag How dare you stand up to the flag when people fail to realize we won our independence because we did not want to kneel before the flag or a monarch we disagreed with. And they've taken away so many of our moral values that we've seen a society where there is no value in your fellow human life. So
1: how does your book address this? (laughs) Well, you complete social coercion, which I do agree has been happening around us. And my book is one step to try to address a certain aspects of it. So um, with respect to the family coercion that you're seeing and you just spoke to with the father, um, that's not really something that this book tackles. This book tackles more of the, um, the attack on Christian coercion. <laughs> and what I would say is my theological belief is that each of us is, is imprinted by God and we carry, um, you know, a light within us. And maybe that is reassuring to anyone else who feels that way because that's never gonna go away. That's part of humanity and who we are and how we were created. And so you've seen these cycles. You saw it in Russia, you know, when communist was in, in reign and you you've seen it happen in different areas globally where the government tries to take control and tap out God because you really you know, Marxism, communism, socialism, they really are trying to put people, right, the government structure, and they they do not, they are not comfortable with religion. And I'm not talking about Christianity in general. They don't want any religion, so they don't want any higher power because they want you basically to be succumbent to the government. So those, that's how those governmental structures work. But, I mean, Annie, I think at the end of the day, even if, even if the country was to go completely communist, right, you're not going to do away with God. <laughs> I mean, so I do think you see these cycles. Now, look at China and look at some other places where communism really has grasped hold, and it's scary and it's sad and it's taken them, you know, who knows if they'll ever break out of it, I mean, in our lifetimes. But um, as far as God's... Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, that spiritual connection, I think it's innately who, part of who we are, so I don't fear, per se, that that's going to go away, but then you're talking about, okay, well, what can we do today about society today, and um, you just kind of broke down total coercion of the family, religion, you know, spirituality, God, and, um the whole The whole societal structure. <laughs> so that's a lot to grapple with, and I don't necessarily have all of the answers there. I do think that if you were, because I, you know, I am analytical. I am a, a, an attorney, and you kind of are trained to try, try to break apart problems. And I happen to be one of those people that do think that there's an answer to everything. I think that um, you know you have to start piecemeal, and so I think. A lot of the breakdown of of the family structure has to do with um, the breakdown of religion, <laughs> and you know it's not taboo anymore. Divorce is very common. There's no chagrin in that. The the it used to be a man and a wife was commonplace, and now you have this transgender kind of push, which, frankly, I think some people innately are like hormonally in that direction. But this trend of this pushing people who don't even really have that proclivity these kids and things in various school districts. There's something, like, really perverse about that to me, like going against nature, going against how we're created alone. I I think that um, part of that will just resolve itself because I think that's a trend happening today which just defies statistics. But then the rest of it, the the corrosion, you're going to have to somehow get back to – Family structure, and how do you do that? I don't I don't have a good answer. I do know a lot. Social media, media plays a huge part. I mean, think about pop culture, and there's not a lot of TV shows that have, like, what I would consider a normal family family structure. And it's always, if there are, is a family in in the show, it's always the kids who are problem-solving, and then the parents are a bunch of doofuses walking around. So, I mean, this book <laughs> yeah. is, it has, you know what I'm talking about. This book has a family. It has um, a boy growing up in Eufaula, and he has a father. who's very engaged, and he's trying to raise him and his sister. The protagonist is Jesse. Um, he's a 12-year-old boy, and he's a very average kid, and he is just trying to live his life. He's got insecurities like any average kid would have at that age. And his mom has actually passed. So right in there, you don't have the normal family structure. You did, and both of his parents are loving but his mom had uh, unfortunately passed, and he is kind of grappling with that. And then he's he he is engaged in this kind of, um, he's thrown into this cataclysmic battle in this alternate world. So it's a fantasy manuscript, very much like *A Line the Witch in the Wardrobe* meets *Hunger Games* book. And he is kind of <laughs> catapulted in <laughs> to this other world, the land of Miriam where his mom had had, unbeknownst to him, this kind of alternate life. And so then he he's, he's kind of battling with dragons seen and unseen. He He's like, well, why did my mom not clue me in on this more? You know, did she not trust me? But he has to step in very quickly and, and deal with a lot of, with the, the classic battle of good versus evil. And he joins with his cousin, Ionia, who's a very strong female protagonist. who's 14. And they kind of take on evil. And there's faith struggle and there's you know, freedom of choice and a lot of very theological themes in this book that I think traditionally you picked up in, in frankly, children's literature that just has completely fallen out of place. It's, like, not common to have any books especially entertaining reads for kids that kind of have these themes. So that's my part, Annie, and what I'm trying to do. And I think that the more people who present those alternatives and the more that that stuff gets out in in culture, if they're developing TV shows or if those people are making books like me or however you're doing it, then that helps. Or just, you know, going to the library and reading to kids. You know, however people start engaging – if you want to reverse the trend, you got to start to engage.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, um, I got an email. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too late to do anything on it. But someone had posted it on my my tea. I still run a tea party on my tea party page, and they posted it a little bit too mm-hmm. late. But there is a group that meets up state here in South Carolina, and they said instead of going to our normal meeting and you know just chatting with everyone. Why don't we go to the library board meeting and everyone get up and speak about the pornographic books in the children's section, the books that are inappropriate for children to read over there that should be Mm -hmm. not there, but in the adult section, even if you do carry them. Um, And that's what they did. And I said, well, a fantastic idea. That, you know, yeah, you have I'm, these groups that do gather for coffee and conversation, but instead of just sitting mm-hmm. around chatting with each other, go out and be civically
4: active.
1: That's right. I mean, we can complain to each other all day long about what's going on socially and and everything. It really doesn't make a difference until you start engaging with other people who don't think just like you. So that means, yeah, if you're a Republican, you got to start talking to Democrats. I mean, you know, start having conversations, invite them to dinner, like, you know, make them, and I do still, I am one of those anomalies, I think that we, everyone in in America, um, you, you hear the fringe a lot because they're noisy and they're getting more airtime than they should, but I think most of us, Annie, share a lot in common, like we have similar values still in this country, but because of social media and because the media is so bifurcated, we feel more disparate than we actually are. And especially, you know, as we lead up to elections, I mean, there's election interference that's coming from outside of the country that is trying to separate us because there's nothing that benefits the rest of the world than basically a civil war or a cultural war going on in America. I mean, that takes our eye off of every other ball around the world. And, you know, traditionally we've kind of been a watchdog. So, Everybody kind of is, is it not our allies, but like many different regions of the world are really cool with destabilization in America, and they're pushing that towards us. So not only do we have our own slip going on here, but we have that added on to it, too. So Americans need to, like, grow a heart and go out and talk to people who are different from them and start engaging and speaking up for themselves. And if they don't, they don't have the right to complain,
0: Absolutely. And what I I also encourage everyone is contact your elected officials. Make what you're seeing and feeling known to them, because it's not an issue if only one person contacts them. It's not an issue and only two people. But once five, ten or even more, it becomes front and center. And uh, like I said, I belong. I have been a chair of the Tea Party here and we've been running it you now. Going on 15 years. Uh, actually, next month will be 15 years. And when there's a call to action and I rally the troops, things happen. Additional sales tax. We have stopped different things. Uh, we then join with other groups within the state and we just hit them in mass. And it makes a big difference. And people don't realize that every time you contact your congressman or your senator, they keep a, a log. And they say, well, so-and-so contacted me about this subject. So the next time you okay. call and your name pops up, they say, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, this person really civically active. They are following the issues. They know what the issues are. And this person has now activated XYZ. These other people know this person. There's a group out there. We better start paying attention. And they do. Mm-hmm. And they do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it means a lot. Um, I also say write letters to the editor. Now, I've got an article in front of me from National Review that I'm going to respond to. And you're going to get a kick because we're going to discuss this article a little bit. But like you you saying you have to be, and your character in the book has to make decisions whether or not to step back or take action.
1: That's right. And sometimes, you know, there is there is a thing in law where not an omission can be can make you just as guilty as, as doing something that is wrong so if you just sit back and you let everything happen and you know it's wrong that alone is not you're not doing very very well <laughs> so yeah you kind of have to, you have to get proactive um, yep for sure Yeah. now
0: we've got someone that wrote in the chat room had a wrote that my elected official is useless well and you know what had a you have to get people Behind you, like we did, we had beer can Joe Cunningham that took over the seat for Mark Sanford here in South Carolina. And we rallied protests in front of his office, which is about seven miles away from my house. And we had protests sitting in front of his office for a couple of days in a row. Now, the other side had their counter-protest, but we had twice as many people out there. So we unseated him. We now have Nancy Mays. Again, we're not too uh, well, we got some problems with her. She goes hot and cold on us. But we've rallied two other candidates to run against her. One, I think, is a bit of a rhino. The other one, I think, has got a good chance, a good, solid conservative chance, if he can get publicly known. So what we're doing is we're hosting a debate with all three and so we didn't sit back. We reached out to our county GOP chair, to the men's federation, to the women's club, to a couple of other different groups around here. and says, We want to host this debate. You want to participate with us? We're going to put together a panel of each member, and we'll put together six to eight questions, and we'll host this debate if you want to work with us. And we're getting people together to do that. So you can't sit back. You've got to find a way to act because we can unseat these SOBs. Okay. Am I right or wrong, M.K.?
1: A hundred percent, I think you're right. I mean, anything that is, is um, in place can be changed. <laughs> and so, I mean, look at California. So everybody, they had such bad elected officials. The state's just bleeding people. People just leave. And then your tax dollars walk out with them. The same with New York. I mean, I think people started leaving just because the taxes were so high and the politics were so bad. They're like, we're out. And think about that, disrupting yourself and your family enough to move geographies because the politics is so bad is saying it must have been really, really bad for these people. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if the elected officials are not representing the people, then things need to change. And you're right, Annie, unification is generally best. Um, And I do think that if you apply pressure – you know, in, in larger groups, and obviously that gets people's attention more quickly.
0: Right. And, you know, I, like I said, I run a Tea Party here, and we always let everyone know we are separate. We are not an arm of the Republican Party. We will work with them. And when we have an issue, we will reach out. You can still be a member of the Republican Party and a member of my group. It doesn't mean that we are now part of the Republican Party, period. And the GOP chair knows that. And the state GOP knows that. And, and this is how we get things done. You can have your principles and grounds, and you can work with someone you may not agree with 100% of the time. But if you have a common cause, a common issue, hey, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So we use that idea, and it, it works. We had unseated the uh, uh, school superintendent twice before the county decided, well, they're not liking these liberal people we're bringing in. Maybe we should bring in someone a lot more conservative. And they did, and we've got a fantastic school supervisor. We were able to change the school system. Um, I had a county councilman who was going rhino on us really fast. We unseated him and got someone else in there. So you can do it on a local level, and you can work your way up to state and federal level. But yeah, if you start small and work upward and see who you can get to work with. But that's the important thing. As in your book, he teams up with his cousin. He had to find someone to work with in order to get what they needed done done, right?
1: Yes. And he so the book is like I said, it's a fantasy. So there's a lot of different creatures. There's these squackers that are, um they're they're like these kind of very good natured, hairy beings that you can kinda of think of an ewok commonality. Um, he, but Jesse, and then there's there's other there's um, these firefly. There's a whole bunch of mythical creatures in this story, that and a lot a lot of them are very good. A lot of them are like agents of light, and the book is the qualification. And then there's agents of darkness, and but there's free choice. You know, the, the agents of darkness. These um, King Angus is kind of their their lead, and he had a choice. He he kind of allowed darkness evil to overtake him and in the book um and in my theological belief system i mean there is a certain like what is evil and in your everyday life i think evil can be you know um what i am doing to another person like i'm i'm I'm, i am impinging on them just for my benefit so and obviously the largest display of that would be me murdering someone just for laughs, like not even like a real benefit, just, just because it makes me happy. So that would obviously be the largest display of sheer evil. But in the book, that kind of, um, you know, it's the theme, and it, it's, it's free choice, face struggle, you have the right, you, you, you choose. You know, all of us are given options in life, and we have empowerment, but you have to acknowledge that you have that empowerment, and you have to act on it.
0: Well, I, there's, there's so much where, other areas to go. You know, we recently had Valentine's Day, and I, I was getting flooded with these messages that this article came out um, about people being triggered during the month of February because of Valentine's Day. How dare you celebrate a day of love? I'm triggered uh, because you don't have a significant other in your life. Um, They even have fingernails painted with lightning bolts and things like that on there to just be so anti-Valentine's Day. They even had Valentine's Day candy that had anti-Valentine's Day messages on them. Um, The fact that someone gets triggered by Valentine's Day is telling me that our society has become so woke, so me-centered, but,
1: yeah, it's so weird, isn't it, Annie? So that's so interesting what you pointed out. So that's just sheer jealousy, right? And I think that, you know, the ultimate in Christianity, the ultimate in closeness to God would be to be able to appreciate someone else's talents, someone else's talents and what they do almost as much as if you were to have done it yourself. So if I see Le Sacre Court, which is this beautiful cathedral in France, I I should be able to appreciate its beauty and the god-given talents to the architect that designed it just as much as i am proud for having written hopefully a good book you know it's their god-given talents there's god-given things and this innate jealousy which is what you're hitting on and it oh it's should be about me, not someone else's happiness and what they've done. No, it's all about me and my negativity is disturbing. And it's very anti-Christian. I mean, Jesus came to um, sacrifice himself, which is, right, the ultimate sacrifice. He he died Mm -hmm. for us, if you believe in Christianity. So that's like the polar opposite of what you're describing of being unhappy because somebody else has a date on Valentine's and I don't. And I have to get lightning bolts, you know, painted on my fingernails. That's the opposite. (laughs) Well, you know,
0: it it is very ironic that this anti-Valentine's Day, or as I'm calling it, Satanism, rise of Satanism that I'm seeing in society. And we're going to go into that, especially how your book is dealing with that. Um, But it was ironic that Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday fell on the same day. Now, Ash Wednesday being the day of atonement, that is, people often see as being a very, very sad day. But yet it's a day of love. That what greater love can anyone give than the sacrifice for the betterment of everyone else? What greater love can God give us than giving us the pure exhibit of that love on Ash Wednesday? And what better day for Valentine's
3: Day?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
3: Well, I I think there's a lack of um love today because there's a a lack of um, the acknowledgement that there is a God that exists. And I think that's why we can get people like this woman who um, shot up um, Joel Osteen's um, church, you know, it's just like, Uh, where these people coming from? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I heard about that part too. But I'm just saying people are just off the chain. I mean, to bring a a, a child to a, a mass shooting, you know, Where's the love?
1: Yeah, and I do think, so that that woman who, she was, she sounds very, very confused. I mean, I read the article on her, and she just sounded like she had a million things going on. But in general, talking about society at large, I think people are not acknowledging God. And how can you go for a walk in, in the woods and not, not acknowledge God, <laughs> that there's a, a spiritual presence? And I think that right now there's just so many distractions and a lot of it is we're all on our iPhones. We're constantly bombarded with like stimulation and there's so much distraction that it's hard for people to calm down and typically when you calm down, like if you meditate or do something like that, that's when you kind of tap into that energy and like awe of of God and and his him in our lives. And people just aren't doing that and they're not going to church to get it. And so I think that that's why it's falling out um, some. And so I think that it's a confluence of things, Curtis. Like not only is it people just not going to church or talking about God as much, there's also we're just so overstimulated all the time that people are not calming down and meditating and and, and getting in touch with that spiritual presence in us and around us and everyone else's energy, frankly. Because we're all so stinking distracted. Um, And I do need to ask you guys, because I have TV at 4 Eastern. um, How long am I scheduled with you guys? Because I I am going to have to wrap. For another another three and a half minutes. I'm okay. Great. Uh, I'm wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to be here, but I am I I do get a little nervous because I have to actually um, look in the mirror and do my hair or something before I get on television. That's <laughs> alright. i I'll have to giddy up so that you have to get pretty for us next
0: time we do this. But I do have up on the show page uh, your your picture so as i'm people see me talking on another video but they see your picture and a copy of the book cover plus in the description on the show page is a link to your book so people can go directly over there and buy your book and learn more about you over there and i'm looking at the notes that i wrote and my hand is in a cast which was really interesting trying to write notes last night um of oh, all the no. things i wanted to, i wanted to talk to you about and um the article I wanted to bring up, unfortunately, we, we don't have enough time, was in the National Review called Natalism is Not Enough, and they're talking about the decline of the birth rate in our nation and worldwide. And they're talking about the breakup of the family and the lack of faith. Uh, and then they talk about the economy because young people don't want to get married and have kids because they can't afford it. But I think they miss the bigger picture about the against the family, the taking away of parents' rights, uh, I'm sorry, the school, uh, the school nurse or the school advisor has determined that your 9- or 10-year-old is not a she but a he in reality and will start hormone treatments without you knowing and using a different pronoun without you knowing. Don't tell the parents because the parents are evil and they're going to fight you. We know what's better than you, for you than your parents do. Uh, we get that in our society. We get kids stuck with FaceTime on their smart devices who no longer know how to interact with each other. I mean, it, it drives me crazy. And I, I'm sometimes guilty of this. You go out to dinner with your significant other, and I'm married actually now two months. And we went out to yeah, dinner the other night. And first, thing yeah, did, yeah. first thing first, both did is we took our phones out and put them on the table. And I'm thinking, we're married two months ago, are we doing this? Wait a minute. Let's have a conversation. But we're not teaching kids how to interact with each other. And and that's a huge loss. And, you know, we need books like yours. We need to introduce kids to C.S. Lewis, to J.R. Tolkien, to all the classics that are out there that we grew up with, to teach them what what it really truly means to be a human being created in the eyes of God and not beholden to Satan in our society. And we have to address God and fight Satan at this point. That's how I'm looking at this society today.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, they're certainly not getting these books in the typical public school system. Um, And you kind of touched on that. And there has been this real bizarre, and I think it really um, was heightened since, COVID, right, this sort of blocking parents out from what your children are learning, that seems to be somewhat prolific and, and has been more or less since COVID. And that's why, I don't know, Annie, if you saw, but during COVID when um, schools went virtual, um, some parents got really upset because they, they went virtual and they were able to see what the, the, what was being discussed. And they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is what my child's learning in school. You know, there's this, a, a lot of uproar. And then you've seen a number of families pull their kids out of the school system and they're homeschooling, and there's this whole homeschooling craze that is a more recent phenomenon um, because people did start to get kind of clued in to what was going on in the schools. Um, and so that is just like this really kind of, huh, moment when you realize that the parents are being shut out, and then this whole more recent transgender fixation, and I, I think it's been really prevalent in the California schools with this initiative. And um, you touched on it with uh, some of the stuff with the kids and, and not cluing in the parents that they're like basically treating like, them like the other gender or whatnot, um, which is just bizarre, right? I mean, the whole thing is just bizarre. But that, that has been this kind of recent phenomenon. And it, it's just really, really – doesn't it make you scratch your head? Like, what, 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 what are these people thinking? <laughs> and then at some point you couldn't, with the pronoun stuff, you couldn't refer to, like, boys as he and girls as she. So then th- we're like, what do they call them, it's? I mean, this is just beyond any kind of. And meanwhile, while we're discussing these transgender issues, like Russia's putting up the satellites to do block, you know. <laughs> meanwhile, the rest of the world is continuing. So um, it it is very troubling, and we really, like we already touched upon a number of times in your show, everybody needs to kind of get up and start to kind of act. And you know what? Turn your kid's iPad off and, like, have a conversation and um, just start being a little bit more proactive because this is where we are, and it's it's not unreversible, right? Anything can be changed, but people have to start to do things.
0: Absolutely, and they have to start acting now. And people, again, can find you on your website, which is um, magi of Uh There's a link, as I said, on the uh, show page. So as they listen in the archives, uh, they can uh, pick up and and get your book and give it to a kid near you.
1: <laughs> as many kids Yay. near yes. you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Well, God Thank bless you for the is- hard work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and I do want to comment. The Audible is available. It's read by somebody else with a great voice. He's got, like, the Johnny Depp voice, so people like it for car rides. But, Annie and Curtis, it's been such a pleasure being on your show. Thank you so very much for having me. This has been a delight.
0: It has been a delight, and God bless for all the hard work you do. MK Sweeney, check her out. Thank you. All right. Now, uh, Curtis is calling in our next guest from the Heritage Foundation, so he should be with us very shortly. My fingers are crossed. But I wanted to, uh, while we're waiting for him to call in the, the uh, guest, uh, this article I was talking about, let me pull it back up over here. Come on, Annie. Get your ass together. Uh, that's no, that's for dedication. All right. That's in the National Review, and the article is titled Natalism is Not Enough, uh, by Patrick T. Brown. And Curtis, unable to reach our guest? Curtis?
3: Actually, I just got his uh, number, so I will give him a call.
0: Okay. All right. Um, uh, Patrick Brown writes in there, um, he talks about having children saving the world because Elon Musk uh, believes in that. You've got like, what, uh, 11 or 13 kids? I forget how many he has now at this moment. Uh, but the, the decline of the birth rate, especially here in the United States. And um, he blames that on a couple of different things, you know, the breakup of the family, the loss of faith in God and people that go to church now. And then he also blames it on the current economy, uh, where now marriage is not encouraged. It used to be at some point in time when kids were growing up, it's like, well, when you grow up, What are you looking for? And most kids would turn around and say, well, you know, I want to go to school. I want to get myself a really good job. I want to go into this field or that field. And, you know, um, I want to get married and have kids. And and I want to live somewhere nice. I want to own a house of my own. And they had a goal. And their parents gave them an example to live by, um, which we're not really seeing much today. You've got single-parent households um you've got high dropout rates because it is single-parent households you've got uh, kids that um, will then go into drugs or alcoholism because they're not trained to go into the job market properly they become dependent upon government handouts Uh, you then have the rise of gangs because now these kids are vulnerable uh what are they going to do they're going to hang out and where are they going to hang out well there's gangs and they get involved they get criminal records and it's a spiral that continues to go down, 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 down. And they're, they're talking about encouraging, getting back to family, getting back to the education, uh, doing something about the economy. And they failed to hit the other issues that I was starting to talk to uh, MK about, uh, which is the rise of certain wokisms in our society that is affecting the birth rate as well, but we'll go into this at another time, and I'm going to write an editorial in response to the National Review article, and hopefully uh, they'll print it. I doubt it, but I'll try anyway. That said, fighting an uphill battle forever with the best organization we have here in the United States that fights for you and I, the Heritage Foundation, David Ditch. How is that for an introduction, David?
2: Well, I—you uh, can't see me, but I'm blushing a little bit.
4: <laughs> oh well,
0: um, I'm glad to have you back on the show. It's always fun to speak with you, and there's so much that is going on. And, and, and you know, one of the things I caught a little while back is where the um, House and Senate were working on the budget, and I don't remember it was the House version. I think it was the Senate version of the bill and inside they talk about the child tax credit about doing some gymnastics with it and then as I'm reading it I'm saying wait a minute the way this is written it basically encourages anyone who's an illegal immigrant with a child to come here apply for the child tax credit and benefit from it and then therefore remain here in the United States as an illegal alien and get even additional government benefits. Am I looking at this part of the bill wrong? Or or was I seeing something that was like
2: WTF? It, it, it's absolutely astonishing what uh, a lot of members of Congress, what a lot of the nation's political leaders seem to think is acceptable. Um, so in this case, During the pandemic, there was a temporary, quote-unquote, temporary extension of this uh, tax credit benefit, and it didn't contain a lot of the safeguards that welfare programs normally have, such as requiring those key identity um, markers like Social Security number. Now, we come to a point where the pandemic's gone, Um, The economy could be better, but we're not in any sort of a deep recession. But because the temporary benefit increase might expire, obviously everyone's running around with their hair on fire because no government handout is ever allowed to either expire or shrink. And that's the case here. Uh, Myself and uh, especially some of my other colleagues who are more, uh, at Heritage who are more experts on welfare and on tax policy have pointed out that just you know, just because Congress thought it was okay to do this without all the safeguards in place during the pandemic, that doesn't excuse them from doing it now when we're not in any sort of an emergency. But that's what a lot of them seem to do. Um, this plan is unfortunately passed the house and right now, uh, we have to hope that uh the Senate will be wise enough to uh, put put their foot down on it
0: uh well um I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you on that one. <laughs> I don't think the Senate will put any pricks on anything that's coming in front of them at this point, you know um there's the uh, Tax Relief for American Family and Workers Act, uh, and it was supposed to give us all these wonderful things, stimulate the economy. But as I was watching everyone, including on MSNBC of all stations, going into a panic, going, wait a minute, we're heading into a recession. I mean, the, 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 price, the, cost of, the consumer price index is through the roof. Oh, my goodness, the sky is falling, the following saying out there. But that Tax Relief for American Family and Workers Act did absolutely nothing to pay down the debt or give tax relief to the American families and workers, did it?
2: And that's uh, this is one of the things that's really important to understand about why politicians are so bad at dealing with the economy. Because when there's a problem, especially a problem relating to prices, people complaining that, This thing is unaffordable, whether it's, for example, a college education. Oh, the price of college is too high. The first thing a politician wants to do is throw money at it. What happens when you throw money at it? The prices go up. That's part Mm -hmm. of why when the government was throwing money around left and right at everything under the sun during the pandemic, not too long afterwards, we started having economy-wide inflation we're talking about the same thing happening here. And also when we're talking about the economy, there are, in addition to individual tax credits, there's also corporate tax credits. And this is one of Mm -hmm. the dirty little secrets about this, one of the dirty secrets about the swamp is that these business tax credits are designed to be temporary. And they're temporary so that it helps make work for lobbyists. Every time the tax credit comes is going to expire, they start flooding Capitol Hill. There, it gets extended. They get to go, you know, talk to the corporations that are paying them, saying, "Hey, I did such a great job; they, they got the extension. Give me my money." And then a couple of years down the line, we get to do the whole circus over again.
0: You know, they didn't learn about that COVID nineteen. They put in the the last one. Uh, that was supposed to help them retain workers and so on and so forth. But it became just a field day for scam artists. And they've got this in this new one, which does absolutely nothing to prevent the criminal activity, does it?
2: And, so oh, my gosh, there's so many scams <laughs> going on in Washington.
4: It's oh, hard to you. keep I got track. To
2: <laughs> but it's also the scale of these things, you know, it used to be if there was some scam and it cost a couple million with an M, million dollars, it would be a big national story. Now we're talking about scams costing tens of billions of dollars, billions with a B, and people, you know their eyes glaze over because they come so fast and furious. And this, this is one that you're talking about during the pandemic, Congress was saying, hey, you businesses are struggling. If you just keep people on the payroll – will give you a tax credit you just to sort of you know tied things over make sure there wasn't a, a new great depression and you know, once the lockdowns ended things again things weren't perfect but we didn't have that new great depression only So many of the businesses applying for that tax credit, they weren't coming in in 2020 or 2021, like right during the pandemic, when they would have supposedly been doing this thing. They're coming 2023, 2024, years after the fact, and there's a whole cottage industry of firms that specialize in sort of – fudging the numbers and, you know, finding the loopholes, Congress needs to shut this thing down now so that we don't have more inflationary deficit spending. But rather than just kill this thing, they say, oh, we can use the quote-unquote savings in stopping this tax fraud and use it to, as... essentially spending with taxes and we'll give some handouts to some special interest groups. It's absolutely maddening. It is.
0: It is if, you know, you found the magic treasure chest with all the gold and jewels and everything in it and it's the taxpayers' dollars. So it's, it's, it's a pirate's treasure and everyone's running for it. Everyone's scooping their hands into it. But yet, that's my money. That's your money. That's my next-door neighbor's money. And what is it doing for us? What Instead of benefiting us by reducing costs, by encouraging growth and employment, and instead of doing all these things, it's increasing costs, it, doubling the, the debt per person from, what was it, a 102000 now up to somewhere coming up to like 231000 I think, per person. It's laying a burden on our future generations, and it's going to collapse our economy and our nation if we don't put brakes on it. So what do we do, David? I mean, we've got a Congress that is passing uh, bills, I mean, spending bills out there without using the law to put the brakes on that that are in place. They're ignoring the very laws they pass to control the budget.
2: Yeah, and the one example that I always think of when it comes to when have we been successful, getting Congress to actually pay attention and behave with some small amount of responsibility, in 2009 and 2010, there was this huge grassroots movement, the Tea Party movement, and the number one thing they were upset about was all the handouts that happened in the wake of the 2008 financial crash, and all the special deals being cut for financial interests, followed by a big, quote-unquote, stimulus package the Democrats passed that wasn't actually designed in a way that would benefit the economy, but again, it was a series of handouts to special interests. The American, tens of millions of Americans made it clear, Washington needs to get its act together And we had, there was a big impact, not only in terms of who won in the 2010 election, but also it sent off some alarm bells for the sort of ranking file business as usual crowd to say, hey, we can't keep doing business as usual. There are going to be consequences. Unfortunately, there haven't been enough consequences lately and they need to come back.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, next month will be 15 years that I have kept the Tea Party running here in my county. (laughs) 15 years. And we meet this coming Monday on President's Day. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we're looking for someone to run against Nancy Mason succeed. I don't know if we're going to succeed, but as long as we keep the seat Republican and don't give it back to beer can Joe Cunningham. (laughs) We don't need that. Oh man! I mean, there's so much that you guys are doing over there to look out for us, uh, and looking at these budgets and breaking it down. And you work with our friend at um, Open the Books over there. Uh, it, it is absolutely insane because no one is actually reporting on these bills that are coming up, and the public is saying, "Well, it's got such a great sounding name," and this one we're talking about right now, the tax relief one, it. it, it centers a lot of it around using children as an excuse. The kids are a pawn. They're not a beneficiary of this relief, are they? They're using them for the sob factor.
2: When I think about what is going to benefit the future generations, it's making sure that when they turn 18, they aren't immediately – Crushed under the weight of hundreds of thousands of dollars per person in debt, and you're right when you earlier you cited a figure over two hundred thousand dollars when you add the current national debt, the debt that is likely to be coming just in the next couple of years, and the unfunded liabilities in a lot of the benefit existing benefit programs that again you know, legislator, legislators legislators. Elected officials, decades down uh, ago, were just kicking the can down the road, saying, "Yeah, we're going to promise you all these benefits. We're not going to worry about actually making sure the money's there. We just want to take credit for it." That bill is coming due, and you can look at a lot of countries in the world that used to be economic superpowers like Japan. Anyone talk about Japan as an economic superpower anymore? One of the reasons why you don't is they let themselves get too bogged down in government debt, and it's a lead weight on economic growth and vitality. The
4: promise
2: of the American dream that we all love and we all expect that if you play by the rules, you put your nose to the grindstone, you work hard and you work smart, you're going to get ahead. It's going to be harder and harder as long as Washington keeps sucking up more of our resources.
0: Well, you know, I wish we had a lot more time. I'm seeing we've got just 10 minutes left and, oh, my goodness, just to get into the Senate Security Supplemental Budget Bill. That alone would probably take about six hours. key thing I took out of that bill is that the money to go to replenish all the supplies we sent to the Ukraine. And we're saying it's it's funding for Ukraine. Ukraine's supposed to get X amount of dollars. Actually no, it's going to American industries to replace the boats, the planes and the armaments that we've 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 took out of our stockpile. Well it's great for American manufacturers, but you're saying in the budget it's supposed to go to Ukraine. But then You're putting money into Ukraine. You're putting money into Israel, which a lot of it actually is going to end up in Hamas. Uh, You're not putting where you need to put it into Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific nations where China is a real and an imminent threat. This is a paper sham that will cost us billions upon billions of dollars and not do what it's supposed to do at all. Do you think this is going to be dead when it hits the House? Because I'm hearing that the House is saying we're not going to touch this. It's going to, we're not
2: even going to put it on the floor. I wish I had a clear answer. I mean, Frankly, if if anyone says they know exactly what's going to go on in the House of Representatives, um, you should uh, either have them tell you what the lotto numbers are or they should be put in the same, same asylum, uh, one or the other. Um, it is there's a lot of turmoil there because the margin you know, that there's such a tiny margin that Republicans have with their majority. And there's always just enough people on one side or an issue or another to sort of make things go a little haywire. Um, it seems to me that speaker Johnson is really pushing back against the package that the Senate has had them. Um, Mm-hmm. But there are different, there are different means by which, um there's something called a district charge petition where if you have, you know, a large majority of members of the House, they can sort of force a vote on something. So theoretically you could have Democrats and a small number of Republicans try to push this thing to a floor vote that, and it could potentially pass. But I've, heard from some of the people who, some of the Republicans saying that they wouldn't want to do it that way because it would create too much backlash from, from the Republican base. So and it, it's going to be interesting in the next few weeks to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, now my question is, is why aren't we pushing the European Union to contribute a lot more into the situation in Ukraine because it would affect them the most? Uh, NATO nations that are feeling threatened if Putin takes down Ukraine, why don't they jump into there saying, well, they're a potential new member. Let's see what support we can give to them to prevent Russia from encroaching on our sovereignty. Why aren't we pushing that? And why aren't we then instead taking the money we're using for Ukraine, rebuild our stockpile, yes, because we need it here, and also then use that money to secure the border? Oh, wait a minute. That's right. Joe Biden said we haven't given him the tools or the laws to do that, have we?
2: It's an, an, a to cross the president. The amount of malarkey coming out of the White House is just <laughs> beyond belief. I mean, it, 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 it's plain as day that the Biden administration is perfectly comfortable allowing a. a essentially unchecked tidal wave of humanity to flow across the southern border because they view that as to the democratic party's long-term political benefit um as 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 far as the aid package is concerned you're speaking my language this (laughs) the situation in ukraine first and foremost affects europe and europe has for a very long time, skimped on how much they spend on their own national security because they expect that if there's any problems, Uncle Sam is going to ride to the rescue. We have been giving Europe essentially welfare benefits when it comes to defending themselves for generations, and it it is beyond belief to me that so many uh, establishment figures in Washington think we should keep enabling that behavior.
0: No, you're giving money to where you have Ukrainian defense officials have actually stolen $60 million meant for ammunition. Oh, but wait, it gets better than that. Pentagon also announced they had a $6.2 billion accounting error, and they want us to pass this spending bill?
2: Yeah, there needs to be a lot more oversight. There needs to be a lot more accountability. And the problem is that we... The mindset in Washington is that if government messes up, then we need to give them more money to cover up for the mistakes that they've made. In the real world, normally when you mess up, you get less. Here, it's <laughs> completely backwards. Yeah, yeah, ask backwards. Oh, backwards, that we should
0: say. <laughs> Well David, we're down to our last 4 minutes. It has been so much fun. People can find you at heritage.org where you are there dealing with these uh, major issues dealing with the budget and funding and you guys do such wonderful work over there along with our friend Andrew out of um, Open the Books. Uh welcome you back all the time and uh telling people to check you out over there.
3: Yeah, I
2: I really appreciate that. Uh you can also follow me on uh I guess it's now, formerly known as Twitter, uh, at David A. Ditch, uh, I am, uh, you know, regularly commenting on the many ways that Washington desperately needs to get its act together. Um, frankly, the American people deserve a heck of a lot better than they've been getting.
0: Well, God bless you for the hard work you do. And I did get, get to meet Hada Davis when I was up in D.C. back in November. She's so sweet. and She's doing great work over at FairUS.org. Just to know she looks wonderful. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, David. And enjoy your weekend. Check out David Ditch again on X David A. Ditch as well as at heritage dot org. That's all we got for today. We're gonna to have our friend Mark Tapscott back again from the Epic Times, or right. I should say, I'm sorry, Mark, epoch times, uh next week. And that's all we got for today. And I'll leave everyone with the song from my friend Gary Peccarella, Save America. So I say Belated happy Valentine's Day to all you out there and our sweet friend Sue out in, out in New Mexico, no, not in New Mexico anymore,
4: <laughs> Well out there listening
0: in. Everyone that's been in our chat room here on uh, Blog Talk Radio, as well as over on Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere else, even on our homepage, I say good night and God bless until Friday.